सन्नो मित्र संवरुण सन्नो सन्न इंद्रो बृहस्पति सन्नो विष्णुक्रम नमो ब्रह्मण नमस्ते वायमे प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्मसी प्रत्यक्ष ब्रह्म वदिष्यामि सत्यम वदिष्यामि तन्मामवतु तद्वक्तारमवतु अवतुमावतु वक्तारम ओम शांत 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 सहनावतु सहनो भुन सह वीरकरवाहस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषा वह ओ यंदसमृषभो विश्व छंदोभ्योध्यमृता संबूव समेन्द्र मेधया स्पृणत अमृत देवधारण भूयास शरीर मे विचर्षण जिह्वा मे मधुमत्तमा कर्णाभ्यांभूरी विश्रुव ब्रह्मण कोशोसी मेधया पिता श्रुत मे गोपाय अहम वृक्षस्य रेरिव कीर्ति पृष्ठंगिरेरिव बुधपवित्रो वाजिनी वस्वृतमस्मे द्रविंगुंसवर्चस सुमेधा अमृतोक्षिशंखोर्वेदाचनम शांतिशांतिशांतिपूर्णमदूर्णमदूर्णमुदच्य पूर्णमादा पूर्णमेव वशिष्य शांतिशांतिशाति श्रुतिस्मृतिपुरा आल करुणाल नमा भगवत्दोकशंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यत वंदे भगवतौनःश्वरो गुरुरात्मे मूर्तिद विभागिने व्योमद्याप्तहाय दक्षिणामूर्त नम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांगमनस गोचर अवांगमनस गोचर आत्मखिलाधारम आत्मखिलाधारम आश्रिए भीष्ट सिद्धयेदानंदीतद्वैतभानतद्वैतभानतराध्य वेदात गुरुनाराध्य वेदात सारम वक्ष्ये यथामदे सारम वक्ष्ये यथामदे डिफाइनिंग द सिक्स फोल्ड इनर वेल्थ 
Now we want the mind to be focused on something. Where is it? Shravanadi Visheshu. We want the mind to be focused upon Shravanam, listening. Meaning in pursuit of knowledge. And Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam, these three are the means of knowledge. And therefore we want the mind to be focused upon this all the time. Swalakshe Niyatavastha. It is said in Viveka Chudamani, Swalakshe Niyatavastha. That whatever is Lakshya, Whatever is the goal or the, the objective, in that the mind should abide, mind should be constantly focused on that. <coughs> so that faculty by which I bring back my mind from its other preoccupation and bring it back to its focus, this whole process is called Shama. <coughs> so we want a certain focus on the mind, so it is a Shravanadi. Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam, we want the mind to do something. By Shamaha or quiet mind, we do not mean a mind which is without thoughts or not a mind which is without any action or activity. In fact, we are interested in what we call a learning mind and so we want to learn and that is where we want to focus our attention. <coughs> this, this requires, as we were discussing yesterday, a specific effort. Mind cannot be brought under control or mind cannot be made agreeable to us unless we make specific efforts. What is it, as we said, is that which makes the mind disagreeable to us. What can be generally classified as raga and dvesha, likes and dislikes. Which arise again primarily raga or the, the, the attachment, the fascination. The mind has false fascination for things. Uh, mind sees something which is not there. For example, he sees happiness, security, etc., where it is not there. In the objects of the world, in the situations, people and wherever, the mind sees happiness and security, which unfortunately those things do not have. And that's the reason why it is necessary to make the mind free from its fascinations. <coughs> Says Bhagavad Gita that we can create a distance with the sense objects. We can create a distance between ourselves and the things that we like. And that is how deprive or refrain from indulging or refrain from getting into an experience. However, rasa varjam, the very rasa, the very fascination for that doesn't go. A distance can be created with a thing alright. I can turn my face away from a given thing. But then the fascination which is there within myself for that thing, that remains. And it is that which we have to deal with. That is called Raga. Raga means a fascination. And had it been the right fascination, that would have been fine. Unfortunately, the fascination that the mind has for objects and achievements, etc., is not, is the misplaced fascination because those things do not contain that. They don't have an essence of happiness or security. And therefore the mind superimposes security and happiness where it is not and then wants it. So mind itself superimposes first a certain value and then wants that thing. And when it comes, he thinks, the mind thinks that now it has gotten what it wanted, so it feels happy. And this is raga therefore is considered to be an enemy. Enemy means which deprives me really of, of my, uh, of the true happiness. So this is viradya vishavradad the method that is suggested of restraining the mind or bringing the mind back to its focus is dosha drushti. Seeing the faults involved 
in where the mind wants to go or that to which the mind is attached. What are the faults involved in that? This is what we have to make the mind see. When we take, when we look at a thing only partially, then alone there can be either raga or dvesha. That attachment or aversion can be there only when we have a partial view of something. When we have a total view, we will neither have likes or dislikes, neither attachment nor aversion. Then the mind will be what we call objective. <coughs> and so this fascination is created because the mind has seen only one aspect of a thing. We should make the mind see the other aspects also, and that is how it will become free from its false fascination. <coughs> and this is a process that you have to constantly do. We have to deal with the mind, and we have to deal with its likes and dislikes, or attractions and aversions which are inherently there in the mind, with which we are born, and which we have picked up in course of our upbringing. And therefore, many prejudices we have, Many notions we have, many attractions we have, many aversions we have, all of these are neither attraction or aversion is right. Actually, ideally speaking, whatever there is, is Brahman or God. Sarvam Khaluidam Brahman. What there is, is in fact Brahman. For which there should be neither, there will be neither attachment nor aversion, because it is my very self. But in order to prepare the ground to see the truth, the mind must be relatively free from this raga and dvesha. And therefore, making the mind deliberately free from raga and dvesha, not by forcing the mind, or not by suppressing the mind, but by making the mind see the truth of the nature of things. If thing really deserves my fascination, let it be there. Everything really deserves my hatred or aversion, let it be there. We do not want to deny the mind what is genuine. But when we analyze the nature of things, we find that neither attractions nor aversions can be genuine inasmuch as a thing doesn't have that. That is how. Yato yato nischardi manas chanchala mastiram tatas tato vasham So with, for whatever reason the mind gets distracted, let the mind see the true nature of things. <coughs> In short, we have to learn to appreciate things for what they are. Neither more than what they are, or less than what they are. When there is a fascination, we see more than what is there. When there is an aversion, we see less than what is there. When the mind sees nothing more, nothing less, when it is objective, that is what we call a mind free from raga and dvesha. And that state of mind is called shamaha. Shama means quietude of the mind. Mind becomes... <coughs> the next is in the passage 20, Damaha. We read here, Damaha Bahyendriyanam Tadvyatarikta Vishayabhyaha Nivartanam Damaha is Bahyendriyanam of the external organs, Tad Vyatarikta Vishayabhyaha from the objects other than that, meaning Shravanam, Nivartanam, restraining. So whereas Shamaha is restraining of the mind, Damaha is restraining of the sense organs. Again, the sense organs also habitually have craving in themselves. The eyes, ears, the tongue, all of these have habitual craving. The tongue has a craving for a certain taste. There's a craving for sweets, you know. If you are fond of that, then you miss them. And so if you don't get that, then the mind craves for it. The tongue craves for a certain taste. Sometimes these, these faculty of touch craves for a certain touch. The ears crave for a certain sound. So this, this habitual craving which is there in the sense organs makes the sense organs again and again engage or indulge into the sense pleasures or into the experience of the senses. And nivartanam, bringing the sense organs back from that and again focusing them on shravanam, mananam, dhyasanam. 
Here we are talking about a person who is committed to knowledge or who wants to be committed to knowledge. And for that, the Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. This is the basically only activity that a student pursuing the knowledge should ideally have. <coughs> or whatever is required for Shravanam. Perhaps we cannot listen to the scriptures the whole day. We cannot even reflect upon them for the whole day. Because certain preparations are required in the mind. Then our commitment should be to make that preparation in the mind. Like Amanitvam, Adamhitvam, Ahimsa, Kshantihi. These qualifications that Lord Krishna talks about also are a part of the spiritual pursuit. So Amanitvam, humility. Adambhitvam, unpretentiousness. Ahimsa, non-violence. Kshantihi. Kshantihi means forbearance or forgiveness. Arjavam, straightforwardness, honesty. So these are also the values or the qualities that seek to create within ourselves. <coughs> and therefore a student is committed to this. So commitment to knowledge means commitment to the study of scriptures. Which also means a commitment to acquiring a certain frame of mind which can, which can commit itself to the study. And, and developing that frame of mind would require developing certain values like Amanitvam, Madambhitvam. And therefore, a student who is totally committed to this is what we call the student pursuing the knowledge. And all we want is our mind, our sense organs, our body, everything should be available to us to do what we want to do. Apyayantamavangani Vak pranas chakshushrotra matho balamindriyani chasravani There is a prayer in the Vedas Apyayantamavangani May my limbs be, may my limbs grow, may my limbs be strong, meaning May all my limbs be, uh, be focused upon the pursuit of knowledge. Vak pranaha chakshuhu shrotram atho balamindriyani My speech, my prana, my eyes, my ears, my arms and all my sense organs, all of them may be conducive to the pursuit of knowledge. This <coughs> is a prayer. Bhadram karanevihi shrunuyama devaha O oh gods, please bless us so that with our ears we hear that which is auspicious. Bhadram Pashema Akshamihi Yajatraha. O oh gods, please bless us so that with our eyes we see that which is auspicious. Sthirehi Yangehi Tushtuvagum Sastanuvihi Vyashema Devahitan Yadagum. May we possess a sound body and the sound organs. And therefore with the sound body and the sense organs and with my, our speech, May we all the time praise you or sing your glories and perform our actions and may we spend the rest of the life that we have in singing your glories and performing actions in service to you. So these are the prayers. So this is what we want. And we find that our own mind very often is an obstacle to what we want to do. Our own sense organs are an obstacle to what we want to do. I want that my ears should be, uh, I, I want that my ears should be with me and they go there to listen to some sound there. I want that my eyes which should be with me. My eyes want to see something there. My tongue again makes a demand that it wants to taste something. The faculty of touch makes a demand it wants to touch something. And all of these are distractions. Otherwise we don't mind. God has given us the organs of perception with which we should experience the sense objects. God has given us the organs of action with which we should perform action. So it is not that Vedanta says that you should not experience the sense objects with your sense organs, that you should have, you should avoid things. All that the Vedanta says is that we should be focused in what we want to do, that's all. And if you find that our sense organs are an, an obstacle to our focus, then alone the question of restraint comes. Restraining the sense organs, meaning the eyes, ears, tongue, taste, smell, doesn't mean depriving them or starving them or suppressing them or repressing them. But if you find that these sense organs have a tendency to run towards their objects and thus create a distraction in what we want to pursue, then we should bring them back. And this is what we have to do. Suppose you are even studying for college or school or during anything, you are working in the office, you want that your mind be focused there. At that time you do not want your mind to be distracted something else. And similarly also we want that our mind be focused. And even if the sense organs go away, 
to that object, then mind also runs after them. That's the thing. That when the eyes see something, the mind will automatically go there. When the ears are listening to something, the mind will automatically go there. So this sense, the habitual craving which is there in the sense organs, often becomes so powerful that it again pulls the mind away from its focus and takes the mind to the sense organs. <laughs> sense objects. And Lord Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, Vayurnavam Ivambhasi. A boat, a sailboat is going and how the powerful wind distracts and that sailboat away from its path and so also the sense organs distract the mind away from its focus and drag it into the sense objects. Therefore, a need to have what we call a mastery over our own mind, a mastery over our own sense organs. <coughs> we can, as an experiment, begin with one sense organ. Just the sense organ of called tongue. It's a, it's, a, it's a place where we can begin. Tongue. Tongue performs two functions. One is the function of speaking, other is the function of tasting. And we can start exercising a self-control at that point. At the level of speech, let there be dhamma, meaning a discipline. Dhamma here means a discipline. Discipline of speech or austerity of speech. Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, what is meant by austerity of speech? Anudvega karam vakyam satyam prihitam chayat swadhyaya bhisanam cheva vangmayam tapa uchade. The austerity of speech is defined in Bhagavad Gita as Anudvega Karam Vakyam. May I utter words Anudvega Karam which do not create Udvega, which do not perturb anybody. So, may I speak words which do not perturb anybody or which do not hurt anybody. So, this is austerity of speech. The words or the speech that will not upset anybody or hurt anybody, or disturb anybody. Secondly, satyam. Whatever I speak, may it be truthful. Priyam. Whatever I speak, may it be pleasant. Hitam. Whatever I speak, may it be useful. So Lord Krishna gives us this criteria of speech. So we are just taking speech as an illustration. What is meant by dhamma or exercising control over sense organs? We can start, as you said, at the level of speech and see whether we can bring an austerity in our speech or we can bring our speech into what we call discipline. That we make sure that with whatever we say, so that we do not hurt the feelings of someone. Anudvega karam vakyam satyam, that whatever we speak, is truthful, it is pleasant, and it is useful. Which means that we have to cut down, cut out a lot of speech, because a lot of things that we speak are not useful. And when we speak too much, very often we hurt people. And when we speak too much, sometimes we also say things which are not right or not true. So this austerity of speech will automatically require us to cut down speaking. Then what do we do with our speech? When God has given us the faculty of speech, then what do we do with it? Swadhyaya abhyasanam. May you engage your speech in repetition of the, uh, the scriptures, repetition of the uh, mantras or the Vedas and whatever you want. So repeating the glories of the Lord, etc., that is where the speech may be engaged. So this is how Lord Krishna defines austerity of speech. It can be a starting point. Dhamma means uh, a person who is disciplined with reference to all the activities. Lord Krishna says in Gita again, Yukta Haraviharasya, Yukta Chestasya Karmasu, Yukta Swapnavabodhasya, Yogo Bhavati Dukkha. Talks about an alert person. Aharaviharasya, in eating, an alertness, a sense of proportion. Vihara, Vihara means in walking or, you know, in movement, in walking also a sense of proportion. Not too much, not too little. Not too much food, not too little food. Not too much walking and moving about, not too little. Yukta Svapnava 
In sleep also a sense of proportion, in keeping awake also a sense of proportion. Not sleeping too much, not sleeping too little. Not keeping awake too much, not keeping awake too little. Yukta chest sikarmasu, an alertness about every action that we perform, every movement that we make, an alertness or an awareness. A self-awareness that brings about a discipline. Swami likes to call a person like this an organized person who doesn't waste his uh, movements, who does not waste the faculties that he has, and he organizes them and puts them to the proper use. <coughs> so or- being organized at the level of mind, being organized at the level of action. Shamaha and Dhamaha. So Vedanta talks of a need for this. We said the tongue has another function in the taste, so the palate, and that is where also Yukta ahara viharasya, a sense of proportion with reference to food. That I eat alright, but not because uh, I, uh, because of the uh, force of the habit of the palate. Just because palate demands something that I eat. Very often we eat only because it is nice to eat, that I enjoy eating. Whether my stomach requires it or not, but then we dump the food in the stomach, because eating also is a pleasure. So there also a discipline, that I enjoy what I eat alright, but I eat only that which is required and the, that which is required in the quantity in which it is required and therefore a discipline there. Thus, a discipline at the level of all our activities, all our movements would be called Dhamma. We find that we don't have that discipline. We have not been alert. We have not had discipline while performing various movements and activities. We have not had the discipline while thinking and while applying our mind to its various pursuits and therefore discipline. Discipline does not mean restraint, discipline does not mean suppression. Discipline is a value that it should be organized, that it should be focused. So, Shamaha and Damaha. Bahyendriyanam tad vitrikta vishayabhya nivartanam. We want again that our sense organs be applied to Shravanam, Mananam, Nididhyasanam. And when I find the sense organs have a tendency to get distracted, then again bring back these sense faculties and focus them to shravanam, etc. This is called Dhamma. Jnana sadhana shravanadi sadhane bhyaha vilakshaneshu shabdadi visheshu pravartamanani shrotradini bahyendriyani yenuvatti visheshana nivartyande sadhamaha. So when the sense organs have a tendency to they get distracted into their various sense pursuits, bring them back again to Shravanam, this is called Shravanam, etc. This is called Dhamma. <coughs> so, Shama and Dhamma. All of this helps us in whatever we want to do. Even when you want to meditate, you find that if our sense organs are disciplined, our body also is disciplined, hands, legs, eyes, ears, all of them are disciplined, then they remain quiet. They remain with you, otherwise they themselves become a distraction. Mind also is disciplined, it helps us in meditation or whatever we want to do. So, Samahadamas are necessary things which are for study, for contemplation, for meditation, whatever. <coughs> then next one, in the passage 21, defines what is uparati nivartitanam nivartitanam etesham tadvyatirikta tadvyatirikta uparamanam uparatihi athava vihitanam Karmanam Vidhina Parityagaha The third qualification is Uparati or also known as Uparama. Same. Nivartitanam Edesham Tad Vidarikta Vishabhya Uparamanam Uparatihi. Says the author here that our mind and the sense organs which have been thus restrained 
that they remain focused and do not get distracted. This is called uparati. To understand the difference is a little subtle. What is shamaha? Shamaha means the control of the mind is bringing the mind back from its distractions. Damaha, the control of sense organs is bringing the sense organs back from their distractions and focusing them. What is uparama? That the mind is focused where it wants to focus like shravanam. Sense organs are also disciplined and to keep them there, to retain them there so that they do not get distracted from the focus, this faculty is called uparama. Shamaha, the mind has gone away, bringing it back. Damaha, the sense organs have distracted, bringing them back. The mind and the sense organs which are thus brought back, thus restrained, to keep them restrained or keep them on their focus, this faculty is called uparati. Nigruhitanam evatesham bahyendriyanam shravanadi sadhana vitariktesu shabdadi visheshu yathatani indriyani saravatanagachandi that the sense organs do not go away, that the mind does not go away, this is called uparati. In short, as a result of the practice of shama and dhamma, slowly and slowly we find that the mind becomes abiding. The sense organs also become abiding. Therefore, abidance of the mind and abidance of sense organs is called uparati. <coughs> in shama and dhamma, there is an effort involved. In uparati, that effort is not involved. And this we also have, we have also experienced. In the beginning, I like many things. Maybe I enjoy watching movies, I enjoy watching football, I enjoy a lot of things. So whenever the idea of the, the Sunday comes and football, immediately mind wants to go there. Movie also. Now slowly and slowly, as you develop a better and better interest. And the secret of all this controlling the mind and controlling sense organs is not so much the mechanical practice as really cultivating a subtler or a superior interest. Rasopyasya param drashtva nivartate When the mind experiences or sees something superior, automatically its fascination for the inferior drops off. So if you want to make your mind free from the fascination from the worldly objects, etc., it will happen only when the mind sees something better. We know ourselves that when in the beginning perhaps we like what we call film music and stuff like that. Then when we learn or get to enjoy what we call the light classical music, then the fascination there was for the noisy music goes away. And if you get exposed to even classical music and, and learn to enjoy that subtlety, then even the fascination for that pop music goes away. So how, as we discover the subtler and subtler things, how our fascination for the grosser things drops off. So this is what is the, uh, this is the whole idea here. It is not that we keep on disciplining our mind and disciplining our sense organs, that is required. At the same time, it is necessary that our mind is, is exposed to something beautiful, something superior, something subtler, something which is within. The idea is that all the beauty and the happiness, everything is there within the self. At the moment, the mind does not have an opportunity to experience that because the mind is running away into the sense objects. As the mind brought back and it is focused upon the self, that silence which is within. As it discovers that place and cheerfulness which is within, slowly, slowly the mind itself will become abiding. Why should the mind run out in the sense objects if it is happy in the home? Only when the child is not happy at home that it goes out to restaurants and places. Very often that's why good mothers always cook good food at home so that the children don't run away to the, to the restaurants. If you want the children not to go out to eat, you better offer them good food at home. Similarly also, when the mind will discover an inner joy, or to the extent that it discovers an inner composure, to the extent that it discovers an inner silence, to the extent that it discovers an inner joy, to that extent automatically its distraction and its running away will stop.
So we have to approach this problem with two friends. First is, no doubt, a restrainment of the mind, bringing the mind and sense organs back. And secondly, cultivating something subtler. So as we study the scriptures, and as we expose the scriptures, and as we understand the beauty that the scriptures reveal to us, beauty which is inherently there within our own self, and beauty which is there everywhere in life, as we are able to appreciate that, then slowly and slowly the need of the mind for that grosser beauty, it drops off, and that's how the mind becomes abiding. A time will come when, without your effort, the mind will become abiding. The sense organs will become abiding because they have discovered an inner poise, an inner silence, or an inner joy. <coughs> this state is called uparati. Uparati means a cessation. Uparati means cessation of the mind and the sense organs from their sense pursuits. <coughs> Here the author gives another definition of uparati. He perhaps feels that this qualification uparati is not much different from shamaha and damaha. Not much different. We try to show the difference that in shama and dama there is an effort to bring back the mind and sense organs from their distraction. In uparati we find an abidance. Uparati is to the extent that we discover that inner poise as a result of shama and dama to that extent, the mind becomes abiding. Then even when you are in the midst of the sense objects, you won't be distracted. Earlier, I had to make sure that in the refrigerator, I avoid keeping things. I avoid keeping candies and stuff like that in the house. Because, again and again, my palate wants to enjoy them. Later on, a time comes that even if those things are there, you don't care for them because even without them also, you are happy. Thus, to the extent that we discover and inner self-sufficiency, to the extent that we discover that inner poise, to that extent automatically our mind and sense organs will become free from their external needs and that state is called uparati or uparama. <coughs> Another definition that is given here, uparati athava, athava means or, put it this way, vihitanam karmanam vihana parityagaha uparati. Uparati means cessation. So the word cessation can be understood another way also. Vihitanam karmanam vidhina parityagaha. Vidhina, according to stipulations or injunctions, parityagaha, a renunciation of, vihit, of vihitanam karmanam. A renunciation or abandonment of all the enjoined duties is called uparati. In short, uparati means sannyasa or renunciation. So this author gives another definition of the word uparati, renunciation. Renunciation of actions. Renunciation of what actions? Actions that are enjoined upon us. As we said, all of these are very relevant with reference to the Vedic culture. And so we try to understand the spirit of renunciation. Renunciation may not be practiced in the same manner everywhere. Because everywhere the culture is different and the, the social norms and perceptions are different. And therefore the renunciation as it is practiced in India would perhaps not be practical in, in Western countries. But we try to understand what is intended by sannyasa or renunciation. That vihitanam karmanam parityagaha is renunciation of the enjoined duties. So really the renunciation has relevance only with reference to the concept of duty. This we have been discussing that there is a concept of duty so emphasized in India that everyone has a duty to perform. What is duty? Duty means everyone has an obligation. Which obligation one has to fulfill? As we have been saying, because everyone has been enjoying privileges in life. To be aware of the privileges which I am enjoying, and to be able to pay back or to be able to compensate for that privileges is called duty. Thus, when I perform duty, I perform duty because there is an inner urge to, to compensate or inner urge also to, to respond, in, uh, to do something in response to the privileges which I have been enjoying. 
whole life in India was looked upon as a life of duty. There is a duty versus right. Generally speaking, we might say that the Western society perhaps has its focus more on the rights of an individual, whereas the Indian society has, or at least used to have, its focus more upon the duty that a person should have. Duty is something that I do because I think it is, it is only becoming of me to do a given thing. It is becoming of me that I should act in a certain manner because I am father, I am mother, I am husband, I am wife, I am son, I am daughter, I am a citizen, whatever I am. And thus every role has its own dignity, every role has its own uh, demands. And therefore to the best of my abilities I try to fulfill my role. This, this kind of an urge which is there is called duty. And this urge is always deliberately planted. As you even grow up in India, you grow up with the idea of duty. Scriptures have planted this idea of what we call vihida karma or enjoined duties. People have. And these duties will vary depending upon your station in life, will vary depending upon your caste and things like that. And anyway, the caste means brahmana, kshatriya, etc. are called caste. The stage of life, brahmachari, grahastha, these are called the stages of life. And accordingly, everyone should respond in the whole scheme of things. As you must have heard a number of times in the discussion of karma yoga, that I find myself in a given situation, and I, I should therefore respond to that situation in a manner which is becoming of me, which is fit or which is proper. <clears throat> and so, if you, if you fail to perform your duty, then you, there is a sense of guilt. So the duty also results into guilt when we fail to perform the duty. If you have been doing a given thing every day as a rule, like every morning perhaps you spend half an hour in prayers, or every morning you do something, and that if one day you don't do that, then you feel something is missing. Or you might even have a sense of guilt because you failed to do a given thing. So failure to perform the duty creates in a person a sense of guilt. All of these, as I said, may not be very relevant in a Western society because if the idea of duty is entrenched in the mind, then alone the guilt will be there. Otherwise there is no guilt. If I have been functioning more upon the idea of, the, of my right, then there is always a demand, demand for the rights. And therefore, one becomes a giving person. Duty requires that I should take into account the rights and requirements of others around me and I respond accordingly. So duty also calls for that. And so in duty there is always a consideration for other people, consideration of what I should be doing for others. This is the idea of duty. And often we are not able to live up to our own image of ourselves, then it creates a guilt. So, it is understood that as a person is, is, has grown in this whole idea of duty, as we said, the duties are threefold. Our duties towards our parents and ancestors, duties towards the sages and teachers, and duties towards God. And therefore, different kinds of actions are performed in order to fulfill these duties. And then again this duty towards the family, duty towards society and whatever it is. Now the person has been performing these duties. This duty creates an inner urge to do something all the time. And as long as this is there in your mind so long it is difficult for you to pay attention to study or dedicate yourself to the pursuit of knowledge because even as you are sitting in the class your mind will think, wait a minute, what, what is my duty? What should I have been doing? Oh, I should have been perhaps doing this japa, I should have been perhaps doing this thing, that thing. And therefore, all the time the mind is after doing things, because it is trained and it is, it, it has been, uh, it has been uh, trained that way, it has been brought up that way. So, a need to give up these duties, because if these duties are not given up, the mind will never be free. People leave their homes and come to the ashrams, in India. After coming to ashrams then they, they start worrying about, and here also, not that in the western society, it is everywhere, but so much so there that people get worried that I have failed to perform my duty towards my father. I should have been supporting my father, I should have been supporting my parents, I should have been looking after my younger brothers, I should have been doing this, I should have been doing that. 
and I have given up all those things. I feel that I am selfish. That, that is a sense of guilt. So in order to, and if that guilt is there, certainly the mind cannot be quiet. Therefore, in order to make the mind free from the sense of guilt, that is what we call sannyasa or renunciation, where you formally and according to stipulations renounce all your obligatory duties. Now you are free. There is no sense of guilt. You are free from all the obligatory duties. We say that when we become free from all the duties, we also become free from all the privileges. As long as we are drawing privileges from the world, so long we have a duty towards the world. When you want to renounce all our duties, you also renounce all the demands and privileges. So this person who has taken sannyasa, who has renounced the duties, no more makes any demands on the society. Society has no claim on him, nor does he have any claim upon the society. And thus, the mind is free from the sense of guilt, which, which is the result of that, that sense of duty. So, vihitanam karmanam vidhina parityagaha uparatihi. So here, the Vedantic teachers feel that this kind of renunciation of action becomes necessary at some point in time in order to apply the mind to the pursuit of study. Because otherwise, mind always will think, what should I be doing for my family? What should I be doing for this? What should I be doing for that? And mind, which has so many demands like that, it cannot uh, focus or cannot uh, commit itself to the study. Therefore, sannyasa. Stad vijnanartham sadrumeva vigachet samitpanahi srotriyam brahmanistham. When a person wants to gain the knowledge and there is a keen desire to know, then Upanishad says that for gaining the knowledge, he should go to a teacher. And when can a person go to the teacher? Only when a person gives up home. Then alone you can go to the teacher. And giving up home means giving up all the privileges that the home has to provide you. And in turn, you also give up all the duties that are there for home and the family and the society. And this is called sannyasa or renunciation. Renunciation of prescribed duties or enjoined actions. Vihitanam karmanam parityagha. What we call the sannyasa as a renunciation, as a samskara, as a ceremony, is formally giving up or formally renouncing all the enjoined duties. It's not that you give up all the actions. You don't give up action of eating, drinking, walking, etc., which are the actions required for sustaining the body. You don't even give up the actions of study of the scriptures, etc., because they are the actions required for pursuit of knowledge. You don't give up the actions such as service that serving the teacher, etc., because that is also part of uh, pursuit of knowledge. You don't give up actions in terms of your prayers, etc., because that also is required for the preparation of the mind. So we are talking about renouncing actions which are what we call enjoined actions. The duties which are enjoined upon a person, renunciation of those duties is called sannyasa. So sannyasi also continues to do certain things. He also continues to maintain his prayers and his worship, his service to the teacher, study of the scriptures, and whatever it calls for, he continues to do that. But now he has no duty as far as... Uh, his family is concerned, the society is concerned, he has no claim and he has no obligation also. This is called Uparati and is considered to be, in the Indian scriptures, a very necessary condition. <coughs> Uparati, you find these statements again and again happening. Na karmana na prajaya We read this statement last time, last night. Eke some wise people or some sages attain immortality na karmana, not by action, na prajaya, not by progeny, na dhanena, not by wealth, tyagena, by renunciation. So by renunciation, so renunciation or tyaga is considered to be a, almost a necessary condition for the pursuit of knowledge. Well, this is for our information, so that we understand. It's not that right away you renounce everything, because that kind of thing also is not possible. Renunciation cannot be an abrupt thing, it is something that has to happen. Something that, you know, it's the culmination of many things, ultimately is renunciation. But, Shankaracharya always emphasizes, Sarva Karma Parityagaha, renunciation of all the duties, 
in fact renunciation of all the actions vedanta vijnana sunishchitarthaha sanyasa yoga adyateha shuddha sattvaha this mantra also we chant in our prayers in the evening that sanyasa yoga what the yoga of sanyasa or renunciation yateha shuddha sattvaha the yatis or the seekers become pure by this vow of sanyasa or renunciation <coughs> पुत्रैषणाया वित्तैषणाया लोकैषणाया वित्थय अथ भिक्षाचर्य चलती वेन कैन ए पर्सन एनाउंस एक्शन दैट ऑल्सो इज वेरी इंपॉर्टेंट वेन कैन ए पर्सन एनाउंस एक्शन एक्शन कैनॉट बी एनाउंस अनलेस द कॉज ऑफ द एक्शन ऑल्सो इज एनाउंसड एक्शन ओरिजिनेट फ्रॉम वॉट एक्शन ओरिजिनेट फ्रॉम डिसायर्स फ्रॉम काम एक्शन दैट वी परफॉर्म इज ऑलमोस्ट इनवेरिएबली a response to some desire that we want to fulfill and therefore it is only proper to renounce actions when our mind has essentially become free from its demands the mind has become free from its demands then alone it is proper to renounce the action otherwise the demands are there in the mind and the action which is a means to fulfillment of this demand has been given up it is a very uh tragic condition you know very pitiable condition that you have given up things you given up a job you given up all the security you given up all the source of income you given up all the source of comfort and the need for this thing continues to remain then it's a uh, it's a it's a very um, as i said unenviable situation as lord krishna says karmendriyani sanyamya yaste man sasmaran इंद्रियासान विमूढ़ात्मा मिथ्याचार सुचरे एट द लेवल ऑफ सेंस ऑर्गन्स अ पर्सन डज नॉट परफॉर्म एनी एक्शंस इन द माइंड ही कीप्स ऑन थिंकिंग अबाउट वेरियस प्लेजर्स एटसेट्रा सो व्हेन द माइंड इज बिकम फ्री फ्रॉम इट्स प्लेजर सीकिंग व्हेन द माइंड इज एसेंशियली बिकम फ्री फ्रॉम इट्स डिमांड्स अदर देन व्हाट इज रिक्वायर्ड फॉर सस्टेनेंस द बॉडी दैट इट इज बिकम फ्री फ्रॉम द डिमांड्स ऑफ प्लेजर्स बिकम फ्री फ्रॉम द डिमांड्स ऑफ द sense experiences then alone that mind is ready to renounce that is uparati the sanyasa or renunciation or uparati follows shama and dama shama is there dama is there the mind which is matured by shama and dama alone is ready for uparati or renunciation of action pravrtti lakshana yogo gnanam sanyasa lakshanam tasmad gnanam puraskritya sanyasedi buddhiman etc yoga involves pravritti or activity gnana involves nivritti or disengagement from activity and therefore keeping the knowledge in front of them the wise people always become disengaged from action because it is a frame of mind that is required for pursuit of knowledge <coughs> this is uparati okay ओम पूर्णमद पूर्णमद पूर्ण पूर्णमुदच्यते पूर्ण से पूर्णमदा पूर्णमेवशिष्यते ओं शाति 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 शंकर शंकराचार्य केशव बादरायण सूत्रभाष्यकृत वंदे ईश्वरो गुरुरात्मेदि मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमद्याय दक्षिणामूर्त नम ओ शाति 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 हरि ओं श्रीगुरुभ्यो नम हरि ओम